0: So good to be here this morning. So good to see you this morning. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here. Great to be uh, with you for all of our viewers on our live stream this morning. uh, Welcome as well. So great to have you worshiping with us uh, in your homes, your kitchens, your kids' bedroom, wherever it is. Uh, It is good to be together this morning, and it is good to be here, church. A few years ago, uh, Charity and I were discerning. We were discerning a call that perhaps god was leading us uh, to church plant some of you might remember we actually flew out to toronto with uh, dale we spent a few days out there in a church planting assessment this kind of experience where we would learn kind of the ropes and what it all looked like in the end we we kind of discerned charity and i that this was not the lord's leading some of you were relieved at that some of you wanted us gone no i'm kidding Uh, but it was an experience to discern and to understand, to listen to God's voice. And one of the things that came out of that experience was this idea in my head of something called table church. Why table church? Well, besides the fact that I love to eat, and COVID has not helped with that, there was this book that you might remember. It was called A Meal with Jesus. It was a series we actually did as a church a number of years ago here, um, probably four or five years ago now. And this book written by Tim Chester had a profound impact on my faith journey and a lot of the ways in which I see kind of how to live this life of faith out. In that book, Tim Chester quotes uh, commentary writer Robert Karras. He says, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. And if you look at the life of Jesus, most of the the big moments in his life, in his teaching, in his time on earth, was centered around a meal. This past Sunday was communion. As a church, we gathered, albeit again differently with hermetically sealed communion stuff, but it was this idea of gathering around the communion table, and we long for that moment where we can do that as a church again. I was also away on holidays in Vancouver these past few weeks, one of the few places in BC that didn't have smoke. It was beautiful. It was glorious. I trust the Lord's calling that he has me here in Calgary. But it was amazing to break bread, to gather around the table with my family, whom I haven't seen in a year. I don't know if you know this word companion. that actually uh, comes from the Latin cum, which means together, and panis, which is bread. So when we talk about companionship, when we talk about relationship, of of doing life together, it is literally breaking bread. This idea of what we do around the table is so identifiable in those major moments of our life. Church, let me pray as we continue this morning. Lord Jesus, I need you. We need you. There's no way I'm going to stand up here and say anything that has of any value unless, Spirit, you're the one speaking through me, your servant. And so may we hear from you, Lord, that you would strip away all the distractions, all that hinders us, everything that has clouded our minds these last seven days, that we can come and hear from you. And so, Lord, speak. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I don't know if you know this, but every church has a culture and a context. It's one of the things that Charity and I actually love doing. We didn't do it this last Sunday when we were in Vancouver. We only had one with our family. We had some plans that day. But one of the things Charity and I love to do when we go on holidays is to check out other churches. That's actually where Gary is this morning. He's at a different church this morning while I'm here learning about culture and context. For someone new to Calgary, we thought it would be a good thing for him to be able to experience and check out. I don't know where he is, uh, but he's somewhere. And we trust he'll come back next Sunday. But it's this idea of understanding culture and context. And I remember actually last year, and I, as we were heading out to Vancouver, we we're like, hey, honey, where do you want to go to church this Sunday? What should we do? Where should we go? And then we had this like aha moment. Oh, wait, all the churches are closed. So we were all excited to get going to find a new church, to experience it. I mean, we, you know, watch something online, but it wasn't the same. But it's the idea of I love going to other churches to see what they do. Like how do they greet newcomers. What is it like when you walk into a building? Because, I mean, I can still remember at 16 years old, walking into the church for the first time, completely confused and overwhelmed. Church is weird if you've never walked into it before. And so I love being able to experience those cultures and those contexts. Some churches are very opinionated and very strong and very forthright with who they are as a culture and context. And they'll put it right there on the screen for you. You know, I remember looking at one church uh, that said, we are an independent King James Bible-only soul-winning post-tribulation Okay, you get the point. I can't even finish that in a breath, right? Some churches are very overt in their context. That's who they are. That's who they want to be. And they want you to know that as well. So church, let me ask you a question this morning. What's the culture and context of Westview? What would you say is our culture and our context? I'm not going to answer that right away. I want to walk through some things this morning, but I want that to, to percolate in your brain. We're going to use coffee language. You know who I am. But what I want us to look at as well this morning is this idea of of creating an invitational culture. If we're going to talk about culture this morning, I want us to talk about this idea of creating an invitational culture. I don't know if you remember as a kid growing up, you know what, you'd be on the school field and all of a sudden two of the popular kids would call captains. Right, first captain, second pick, because you wanted like you know whatever, uh, and so you you know you'd have these two popular kids and all the other kids would be standing in the line like twiddling their thumbs, secretly doing crosses or whatever it is to get you know God's favor to to get onto the team you wanted to be on. I can remember that a lot of the times I was growing up, I was uh, one of the last kids to get picked. But that was my reality, that was my culture, that was my context. But you remember that idea of hoping and waiting for that name to be called, for your name to be called and to have that invitation. Or maybe let me share you this story. I remember when I first uh, started going to church, I was 16, and I didn't know a lot of what was going on in the whole Christian music context at that point. Anyone remember the band Sonic Flood? I'm dating myself here. Yeah, I got one person, all right? Any of you in that 35 to 45 range may remember it. I'm getting away from Braden in the back. There we go. Okay, so my youth pastor uh, drove us down to Bellingham, Washington for a Sonic Flood concert. My youth pastor wasn't really well organized, because when we got there, it was sold out. He didn't have tickets. So, you know, you just took 16 minors across the border. Back then, it was a lot easier to do that. Uh, and here we are at this church in Bellingham. And, and there's, you know, the lineup. Everyone's going into the church. They're excited. Woohoo! sonic flood. Uh, you'll look them up later. And, and here we are in the parking lot. Like, we can't get in. There's no, there's no room. There's no tickets. It's not going to happen. So what do we do? Well, we kind of, like, hang out in the parking lot of the church. And apparently what you do at 16 uh, is you start singing worship songs Uh, because that's just what we did. Uh, Perhaps, again, trying to curry the favor of the Lord to get us in somehow. Uh, And after a few minutes, either because we were so bad at singing or the band had some sort of pity on us, all of a sudden, the door of the back of the church opens, and it's the lead singer of Sonic Flood. And he says, hey, come, follow me. And we're just like, what? Come, follow me. And he leads us in backstage. We hang out with a bunch of the bands that were there that night. And then he puts us in the front row. I was like, okay. That's pretty incredible. You see, we were invited in. He had the capacity to invite us in. We had no merit, no credentials, no ability on our own to get into that church because of my lackluster youth pastor. Love you, buddy. Uh, But we were invited in. You see, Jesus, throughout the Gospels, creates an invitational culture. Matthew 19, 21 says, Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Mark 1:17, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Mark 2.14, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. John 1.43, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. You see, time and time again, as we look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels, he creates this invitational culture. He invites others to come and to follow him. To join him in the work that he is doing. And church, I want to be clear as we look at this this morning. The same is still true today. So what do we invite them to? I've heard it said, what you win them with is what you win them to. So, Part of our church planting assessment, they talked about ways in which you can grow a church. How do you begin a church from scratch? And there's a few different processes, a few different kind of philosophies of of church planting growth. Uh, One is you just offer free beer. And and that's just, you know, no, that's not actually a strategy. Or or what you could do is you could do what Oprah did. uh, And you just give everybody a car. Right? You get a car, you get a car, you get a car. Everyone's going to come to church if they get a car. There's no car voucher under your seat this morning. All you get is me. But it's that idea that there are ways in which we put out there for people these invitations. So what you win them with is what you win them to. Because we know that free beer and free cars is not going to last. Your budget's going to run out or somebody's not going to be happy and the church board's going to fire me. It's like that song from Matt Redman. One of the worship songs I grew up in. And he says this. He says, when the music fades... And all is stripped away. Because I really believe that in as much as it may seem silly, yes, to talk about offering free beer and free cars, we know that that there's going to come a moment in all of our lives when the flash in the pan, the smoke, the lights, the mirrors are going to fade. And all of that stuff is not going to satisfy us. I'm a prime example of the laws of diminishing returns because I recognize it in my life. Everything that I once thought was amazing and incredible, I'm going to want to replace, except for my wife. Um... My iPhone, my computer, all of that kind of stuff, right? Like there's going to be that reality that eventually I'm going to grow sick and tired of it. What's going to satisfy us in our journey of faith? So let's talk evangelism for a moment, church. Because I think in years past, this word was used a lot more than perhaps we find it used today. Maybe because in years past, we we really kind of began to recognize that for many of us, we saw evangelism as simply just a means to an end. Again, growing up in the mid-90s, kind of to the late 90s, in kind of that culture of the church, uh, there were a number of conferences that were launched to kind of help equip students uh, to minister to their peers, to, to live evangelistically in their schools and in those areas. And they were great conferences that did an incredible work of training a, a number of these students to, to be bold and courageous in their faith. Years later, as we look at those conferences and we look at those results, we know that many people came to know Jesus through them and that we give God the glory for. The challenge of some of those conferences and the challenge sometimes when we look at evangelism through kind of a more holistic lens is they were simply just a means to an end. That we just tried to get people to pray a prayer or to say something magical and then we kind of left them as spiritual orphans. What was lacking in those conferences and in that context was relationship. And I don't want to come across harsh, but but what Jesus did in creating this invitational culture is he didn't simply just have people pray a prayer and then leave them as spiritual orphans. He invited them to come, to follow him into this life together. You see, it's one thing to accept Christ as Savior, but it's another entirely to accept him as Lord, that we allow him to lead and to guide all facets of our lives, that we don't compartmentalize Jesus into the Sunday morning experience, or the Wednesday night youth group, or whatever else that we spend in our church circles, but that Jesus is Lord of all aspects of our lives buddy of mine had a tweet on his uh, feed a few days ago, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it says something like this. He said, We cannot simply expect to win over our culture to Christianity with mere logic and argument. Rather, what we need is to show how Jesus is the better and ultimately fulfilling answer to their questions. That what we're here to do as followers of Jesus is not to simply win the argument, To bring logic and reason exclusively into our dialogues, into our conversations with people who are skeptical, people who are curious, people who want to know more about Jesus. You see, I don't want to win the argument. I want them to know Christ. So let me ask you a question as we keep going this morning. Church, have you ever invited someone to church? Have you ever gotten up that courage to muster to be able to say to someone, would you like to come to church? How'd that go? For some of us, it might have gone great. For others, I'm going to wager that it went terribly. Did you get shot down? Have you ever stopped to think that this response from others to say no to an invitation to consider the claims of Christ isn't unique? I want us to look at Luke's gospel in chapter 9. If you want to open your Bibles there this morning, the words are on the screen with me. We're going to go to chapter 9, verses 57 and following, and I want to look at these words for a few moments this morning. Follow along with me. We read this. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Of God, So what's going on here in our text, church? You see, I think for Jesus, as he's having these conversations, as he's connecting with these individuals, as he's sharing to them, with them, this invitation to come and to follow him, he wants us and them to recognize that discipleship is not a casual affair. What these verses reveal to us is that there is a high priority that Jesus places on discipleship. In verse 59, we read of this prospective follower wishing to bury his father before joining Christ in his work. And this would have been a reasonable request. If you look at 1 Kings 19 19 to 21, you'll get more context to this. But Jesus' response would have still come as a shock. It would have come across maybe a little bit rude, a little bit of an affront, a little bit of what do you mean? I have plans, Jesus. I have things I need to do, Jesus. Can't you just hold on a minute? This comment, let the dead, dead, sorry, bury their own dead, would have been striking, albeit I think a rhetorical statement. But the point that Jesus is trying to make through these stories, through these conversations that we read in Luke's gospel, is that commitment to the kingdom is the ultimate priority. That these individuals had excuses, and we have them as well. How many times in our own lives have we made excuses that hold us back from what God truly wants for us? How many times have we finally said, fine, God, I'll do it. And then in those moments, we experience an overflow of the love and favor and blessing of God that was just waiting for us to say yes, to accept that invitation. And it's why I want to encourage us and challenge us to consider this morning that inviting people to church might not always be the best place to begin. Now, before you send me out the door, let me say this. I'm not saying don't invite people to church. I'm not saying that. Because some of you are here because of someone inviting you to church. But what I am suggesting is this. Before simply we just invite someone to 1313 Ranchlands Away Northwest, What if there was another starting point? What if there were other starting points? Because I can tell you that's not how I became a Christian. And maybe it's the same for you. Because I think for many of us, this thought of simply just inviting someone that we know to church just absolutely scares us. And no one wants to get rejected, and I understand that. So what do we do? Well, a few years ago, I had this idea. I said, what if we, on family day, do this idea called 30 and 30, where we had like a bunch of bullseye barbecue sauces up here, and we encouraged anyone who wanted to take a bottle of barbecue sauce and to simply invite a neighbor to their backyard. We said, on family day, and for the next 30 days, we're going to have 30 people, couples, families, whatever it is, grab a bottle of barbecue sauce, invite someone to the backyard. Many of you did it, and thank you for doing that. And then COVID hit, we kind of hit the brakes on that whole concept. And then it came to me as I was beginning to prepare again, as I was reading through this book, A Meal with Jesus. Because this quote hit me. It says, meals are more than food. They're social occasions. They represent friendship, community, and welcome. And I wonder in this season, as we kind of begin to open up our lives more, and each of us has a a comfort level within that, and I respect that, and I get that. I'm wondering if this is the step that for many of us, we begin to live out, to model as Jesus himself did. This became such a pattern in Jesus' life that both Matthew and Luke's gospels say this. In Luke 7:34, it says, "'The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners.'" I think for many of us, if we've studied the scriptures enough, then we know why Jesus came. If I were to ask us, why did Jesus come, we would likely say something like it says in Luke's gospel, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. But if I asked us this morning, how did Jesus come? I think there might be a variety of different answers. But in our text, in Luke chapter 7, we read that the Son of Man, Jesus, came eating and drinking. He came in this posture of hospitality, of invitation, of of gathering around this table for a meal with others. We're not naive to the fact that summers are short here in Calgary, and this idea of barbecue season lasts about two and a half weeks, it feels like. Although this summer, maybe it's been a bit of a gift to have a little bit longer of a time. But in the end, it's not us that we're wanting our neighbors to get to know. We don't invite our neighbors over for a barbecue to get to know us, ultimately, if we are followers of Jesus. And that's The final point I want us to look at this morning. It's who we invite people to. Because in the end, church, it is all about Jesus. Who we want our neighbors to know, who we want everyone to know is Christ. And I think oftentimes this begins through them getting to know us. Tim Chester goes on in his book to say, Jesus did evangelism and discipleship around a table with some grilled fish, a loaf of bread, and a pitcher of wine. It's why I think Alpha has been so successful for so many years. It's this idea of simply gathering around a table. And I know the guys, the team of Alpha leaders, love being able to gather around a meal. And we hope to God to be able to do that again in the coming months as we launch back Alpha this fall. But it's this idea of inviting people. Of saying, come to the table and eat. And let's enter into a conversation together. A conversation free of judgment, free of expectation, but simply come. One of my favorite recording artists is a fellow named David Crowder. And and just the creativity and depth he brings to his music is just incredible. And there's a song he wrote called, Come As You Are. And it was actually some of the inspiration for this idea of table church. And these are the words that he wrote. There's hope for the hopeless and all who strayed. Come sit at the table and come taste the grace. Funny enough, as I was Googling these lyrics, trying to find perhaps an image to be able to share it with you, I actually found there are a number of churches across North America called Table Church. One actually went so far as to put these lyrics on the wall of their building as you entered into it to be able to make clear that their desire is that anyone can come to the table. Because in Jesus, there is hope for those who are hopeless. If you're here this morning, church, if you're watching on our live stream. And this is a point in your life where navigating through these numbers of months have just left you absolutely hopeless. Hear me when I say this, church. No matter how messed up your life gets, no matter how hopeless the situation feels, there is hope in Jesus. Maybe someone here this morning needs to hear that because I know I need to hear that this morning, church. But it's not just for those who feel hopeless. Maybe on your journey this last little while or maybe a long time you've strayed. This journey of your life has caused you to wander. You've gone so far to one extreme or the other. And you're just trying to find the light at the end of the tunnel. You're just trying to find your way back to a place you know is where God would have you. But you just don't know how to get there. There is hope for the hopeless, these words say, and for all who have strayed. Church, take great hope in the fact that there is a way back. And hear me when I say this, you are never too far for the love of God to reach. Your life is never too far for the love of God to reach. You are never able to run farther than the love of God that he will come after you. He will run after you. He is that father of the prodigal son who sees him at a distance, grabs his robe, and beelines it for his kid. Because the second half of these lyrics tells us what to expect when we come and sit, when we accept that invitation to the table. Come sit at the table and come taste the grace i didn't grow up saying grace as a kid around the table i didn't grow up with a lot of things like that but grace is more than simply a prayer you say before you shovel down the food that as we gather around the table we taste of god's grace yes through the provision of sustenance but also through the provision of companionship of relationship, of being together, again, of understanding this word companionship means breaking bread together. This experience that for many of us we have longed for and we have almost, it feels like, forgotten in this past year of being separated by so many of our loved ones, of not being able to simply gather around a table for a meal. You see, church, this whole idea of creating an invitational culture is where we recognize at the end of the day that who we are, you and I, all of us, we are just beggars. We are just beggars trying to tell others where to find bread. That's who we are. We are just one beggar trying to tell another where we can find bread. But what we are here to do is to point people to Jesus. To not point them at ourselves and say, look at me, I've figured it all out. To not walk into church as shiny, happy people and to say, look, I've got my mask on. Look, I've got it all going good for me. Look, I've got it all figured out. No, we are to come. That Christ invites us to come. And that when we do likewise to others, we invite them and point them to Jesus. As Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Because at the end of the day, I'm not saying don't invite people to church, because God works in mysterious ways. That God will do what he can do. But what I want us to consider this morning in this season of life as we find ourselves in, who can we invite? What are the relationships that we have with others, with neighbors, with coworkers, with friends, with with whomever it is? And what is that invitation that we can extend to others? Do we as a church have an invitational culture? What I'm asking, church, is simply for an ask. And yes, we might get rejected, and rejection hurts. But think about this for a second. Jesus was rejected, and he was the son of God. Because the worst they can say is what? The worst they can say is no. Right? The worst they can say is no, and that's hard, and that gets awkward, and then we have to kind of figure out how to kind of rebuild the relationship, and I understand. But what if they say yes? Like, could you imagine for a second that person that you've been praying for for years actually says yes? What if say, they say yes to coming to your backyard, to coming over for a barbecue, to gather around the table with you? What if they say yes to Jesus? I can remember the moment still where I was there at this campfire center stage moment at the summer camp that I attended, where I said yes. Where, like the song we sung this morning, and thank you, Braden and the worship team, for the incredible music you have curated to lead us to these words of Jesus. That I remember that moment where I said, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back and can you imagine the people in your lives who you are praying for when they say those words and they accept the invitation jesus says at the end of the bible in revelation 320 look i stand at the door and knock if you hear my voice and open the door i will come in and what does he say i will share a meal together as friends You see, for Christ, much of his ministry, much of his life centered around the table. Imagine, church, a meal with Jesus. Even more, imagine a life with him.